Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 389 of Linux in the Hampshire, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And tonight is our short topics episode, so thanks for tuning in. We'll have information about amateur radio, we'll have information about open source, Linux, and all good things like that, and then we'll combine them and we'll have a segment called Linux in the Hamshack, which is the whole point of the show. But we'll get to that a little later on. But before we get to anything, we're going to introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, so now that everybody knows who we are, if you didn't already, and that means if you didn't already, you're a new listener, and thanks for that. So uh, hopefully you'll stick around for more than one episode. <laughs> and uh, Oh, I hear that little noise, but anyway, we're going we're gonna to carry on, all noises aside, because the only noises you're going to hear from now on are the ones coming out of our pie holes. <laughs> and the first one you're going to hear is Bill. He's going to talk about our lead topic, which is coming up real, real soon now. Yeah, then that's Winter Field Day. The uh, Winter Field Day Association, the WFDA, is a dedicated group of amateur radio operators who believe that emergency communications in a winter environment is just as important as the preparations and practice that is done each summer, but with some additional unique operational concerns. Purpose is to foster ham camaraderie, uh, field operations, emergency operating preparedness, and just plain old, plain Plain on the air. Plain, just plain old fun on the air, maybe. That's probably it. Or outdoor fun in the midst of winter for American, Canadian, and DX hams. Don't let those winter doldrums keep you locked up in the house. Get out and play some radio. This annual contest event has been in operation since 2007. Uh, this year's event runs from 1900 Zulu on January 30th to 1900 Zulu January 31st on all bands, except for work. In all modes, except for some minor exceptions in the rules. So you might want to go ahead and consult the, the rule book for any and all exceptions to that. So that's coming up, uh, well, this weekend as this releases. So uh, be prepared and uh, go have some fun out in the in the winter field day. Yes, we're having a local winter field day set up. I'm not sure I'm going out to it, but we'll see what happens. That's going to be, you know, what winter field day happens. You know, our winter field day was here last year. Uh, or was that two years ago? No, I guess it was last year, because that was right before COVID blitzkrieged everything. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, but that, yeah, it was kind of like the last thing we did was winter field day and then COVID. <laughs> so, uh, but maybe we'll, maybe I'll do it again this year. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It was kind of fun last year, but that's because it was here. I didn't have to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on to some more amateur radio topics. We have amateur and personnel, uh, personnel, pers- oh man, personal. Sure, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you laughing at? Nothing. 
Amateur and personal radio users reminded not to use radios in crimes. Isn't this kind of like an old topic at this point? I mean, it was it was all about the all about the inauguration. But well, guess, you never know. It's always appropriate to remind people that, um, yeah, you uh, some, something they should this. already know. Yeah. <laughs> but the yeah. obvious, right? Right. The Enforcement Bureau Bureau <laughs> of the Federal Communications Commission. <laughs> Issued this enforcement advisory to remind licensees in the amateur radio service as well as licensees and operators in the personal radio service that the commission prohibits the use of radios in those services to commit or facilitate criminal acts. The Bureau has become aware of discussions on social media, parlor, media platforms suggesting the certain radio platforms, that certain radio platform services, that certain radio services regulated by the commission may be an alternative to social media platforms parlor for groups to communicate and coordinate virtual future activities the bureau recognizes that these services can be used for a wide range of permitted purposes including speech that is protected under the first amendment of the u.s constitution amateur and personal radio services however may not be used to commit or facilitate crimes and that was a statement issued by the federal communications commission oh I mean, sorry, the, <laughs> the absolute nanny state. Yes, right. the obvious, do not use your radio for committing crimes or selling goods because that's just as illegal in uh, whatever part 97.5 or 547 or something like that. Pick a number. It's it's one of those parts. <laughs> yeah, it's all part of the parts because that's what makes up the rules. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, don't don't use your radio for criminal activity. I mean, goes without saying, but someone said it anyway. And in case you didn't get enough, the AWRL had to, you know, kind of double down on their own uh, explanation of the purpose of amateur radio. And uh, for they they sent out an announcement shortly after this uh, announcement from the FCC, and they said for over a hundred years, amateur radio and the AWRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, have stood for the development of science and art of communications, public service, and the enhancement of international international goodwill. Sorry, <laughs> amateur radio's long history and service to the public has solidified the well earned reputation. That amateur radio saves lives. Well, that might be a bit exaggerated. Um, amateur radio operators, due to their... Oh, sorry. I'm skipping lines here. No, I'm right. Uh, due to their history of public service, their training, and the requirement... Training? Is that like lifting beers or something like that at field day? <laughs> uh, and requirement that they be licensed by the FCC have earned their status as a component of the critical communications infrastructure and as reliable as a reliable source, in quotes, when all else fails. I want to go to your field days. None of mine ever had beer. I've never been to one that didn't. (laughs) Amateur (laughs) radio is a development of communication and responsible uh, public service. Its misuse is inconsistent with its history of service and statutory charter. The AWRL does not support its misuse for purposes inconsistent with these values and purposes. So please tear up your QST magazine if you even think of using the amateur radio for anything other than saving lives. I like Tony's comment. Like that. That's like saying if you're going to rob someone, don't use a gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're going to commit a gun crime, don't, don't use a gun. gun. Right. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Oh, man. Okay. Anyway, so we've, we've established that you should not, per the rules, use a radio for any criminal activity. It's what FRS is for. Come on, people. You know better. 
or CB for crying out loud. Hey, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they deregulated that a long time ago. <laughs> exactly. Same with FRS, you know, unlicensed, just whatever. Uh, so that being said, I'm going to read this next one because I have an IC7100. So this sounds interesting. It's I about, would like it. Yeah. A new IC7100 remote head. An interesting project appeared in a video on Reddit, <laughs> trigger Reddit, Reddit, in the sub r slash amateur radio entitled My IC7100 Remote Head Project, showing a control head connected to a tablet from an IC7100 and what appeared to be uh, RC Forb running on it, RCFORB. Uh, user Mike in MLB added some context to his project later on in the comments. So the RF unit to head unit is 3.3 volts TTL. Uh, pinout connections detailed. Uh, probably leave those in the show notes for people who are interested in it, or you can just check out the Reddit link. Um, use this software to link the server and contact or uh, client com ports. Uh, there's a source ports link there, which also be in the show notes. I use RC for B, RC Forb, whatever. Uh, for, <laughs> for power control and audio, CW is sent over the data line, so it will work with this setup. Disable the setting power off with no controller, because uh, otherwise it will just power off. I've been looking around for a manufacturer to make this box if people wanted to buy a pre-made set. Still trying to find someone interested in this. And, uh, of course, link to the Reddit story will be in the show notes. So, so yeah, kind of cool. Yeah. So it does require actually having the RCFORB software, which is that remote control for remote, I have no remote ham radio or something like that. Remote hamradio.com or uh, remote hams.com. What the heck is it called? Remote, uh, yeah, remote hams.com is uh, the website for that. And that's the uh, client they, that they have for connecting your radio to the community. But obviously, you can also make it private in there. Um, they don't have a Linux client. So that's why this is not a Linux in the hamshack topic. It's just a hamburger radio general interest topic. Um, there are other ways to transport the, uh, control head from those radios just like the 706 and 703s um you could also use those uh uh mark 1282 boxes um for doing a, a pure disconnect between the head unit and the uh and the controller and uh, i just thought this was kind of an another interesting take on using some already existent software but instead of just using the software, which that's what RCFORB is for, is basically the software interface to your rig when you run it remotely, um, to actually be able to pull the control head and everything else out with you if you happen to have this kind of radio. So it might be an interesting project for those people that are interested in it and that are happen to be running a Windows computer and running that uh, that client software uh, and have the, uh, I guess, server software on the other side connected to the actual rig. So I've never messed around with uh, that particular setup, but uh, you know, they have quite a bit few users on there. So um might be interesting for someone to test it out and maybe report back to us and, and say what they think about it. Well, depending on how big a deal it is to get this set up, I might check it out for myself since I have a 7100 sitting here and it uh, might be nice to give this a shot. Anyway... That's all we've got in the realm of strictly amateur radio. So we're going to slide smoothly and uh, seamlessly into open source. And maybe we can get Cheryl to read a story if she wants to read this one, which is kind of interesting. Uh, in the last, I don't remember if it was the last episode of last year or the first one of this year, but we talked a little bit about Linux on the M1, and this is a story about it. So Cheryl, you want to give this one a run? 
Sure, I'll, I'll read, I guess. Okay. So, the story is Corellium announces Ubuntu usable on M1. Chris Wade from the team tweets, Linux is now completely usable on the Mac Mini M1. Booting from USB, a full Ubuntu desktop, uh, RPI. Network works via a USB-C dongle. Update includes support for USB, I2C, and Dart. We will push changes to our GitHub and a tutorial later today, thanks to the at Corellium HQ team. ZDNet interviewed Chris, interview, excuse me, interviewed Chris, and wrote in an article about it following the tweet. In a brief interview, Wade explained it doesn't run on Charm. The M1 Linux port runs on bare metal. For now, only people who really know Linux should be trying this out. Wade said the binary files and the how-to document are being worked on. For the moment, you must still compile the excuse me, Linux M1 code yourself. That done, you can boot your M1 Mac Mini from a USB stick into a full Ubuntu Linux desktop. For networking, you also need a USB-C dongle. More work is being done, even as I write this, to include better USB and I2C serial communications protocol. Behind the scenes, the M1 Linux port is based on work done in Corellium's Project Sandcastle. This was a project to get Android and Linux running on iPhones. And source uh, is available in the show notes. So. All right, very good. And we kind of talked a little bit about this earlier in a chat we were having. And the big, the big thing is there's no... There's no current access to the integrated GPU. Um, so performance may be impacted, but you know, I'm sure that will come with time. And I don't think there's any indication in this, whether it was done by uh release of code from Apple or reverse engineering, although I suspect the latter. So, you know, well, the Corellium team has been doing, uh, trying to get Linux running on iPhones. So they've been working on this project for quite a while. And in fact, I think there's some legal issues between Corellium and Apple. And I believe if you read the ZDNet article in a little bit further, uh, further context, you would get to that information. Um, so yeah, they're not unfamiliar with working with like the A series chips from Apple, their own, uh, you know, if you're, if you have an iPad or an iPhone, you have like an Ace, whatever, 16, A17 chips or whatever the heck they're called now. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, that's sort of where their, their uh, history kind of starts with it. All right. So definitely more to come with Linux on the M1 chip. And I'm sure it won't be long before it's uh, fully integrated and really working well, uh, whether Apple wants it or not. <laughs> so anyway, moving on, let's talk a little bit about CentOS. It's, uh, gone. But Red Hat Enterprise Linux is now free for up to 16 production servers. Ooh, that's kind of interesting. I sure hope we don't start implementing RHEL, because I really don't want to. Uh, Red Hat's December announcement of CentOS Stream, which is initially billed as a replacement for CentOS Linux, left many users confused about its role in the updated Red Hat ecosystem. As of February 1st, 2021, Red Hat will make RHEL available at no cost for small production workloads, with small defined as 16 systems or fewer. This access to no-cost production rel is by way of the newly expanded Red Hat Developer Subscription Program, and it comes with no strings in Red Hat's words. Quote, this isn't a sales program and no sales representative will follow up. Yet. Red Hat is also expanding the availability of developer subscriptions to teams as well as individual users. Moving forward, subscribing RHEL customers can add entire dev teams to the developer subscription program at no cost. This allows the entire team to use Red Hat Cloud Access for simplified deployment and maintenance of RHEL, 
on well-known cloud providers, including AWS, Google Cloud, and Microsoft's Azure. That's kind of interesting. And uh, again, I hope we don't start deploying RHEL now because of this, because I'm, I'm way, way, way out of the Red Hat ecosystem at this point. Uh, the story came from Ars Technica, and a link, of course, will be in the show notes if you want to read all of the dirty details. But uh, there you go. Red Hat Enterprise Linux now free for up to 16 production servers. I don't think it'll be long before they start selling something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a lot of these uh, uh, groups that have been using CentOS for you know, more than 16 systems when you actually aggregate how many locations and stuff that they've had it employed. So <laughs> they won't even qualify, so they're still off the rails looking at, you know, whatever the, the Rocky, Rocky Linux and several other sort of uh, CentOS optionals that you can still go to. Yeah, there's still, what, Scientific and... Uh, scientific, Rocky something. Rocky. Yeah, Rocky Linux. I don't know, Bullwinkle. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky Linux, which is basically put together by the same people that put together CentOS. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not sure there's any difference there. <clears throat> so we have a bunch of CentOS machines. Guess we'll see what happens with those. Um, anyway, moving you- on. Yeah, while you beat up on your uh, mixer board. <laughs> it's like, ah! Ethical Source Movement opens a new open source organization. So the ep- uh, ethical source licenses, such as the Hippocratic license, have not yet been widely adopted. True the Contributor Covenant, the first and most popular open source project code of conduct, has had success. It was adopted by the Linux kernel developers, but the actual code ethical source licenses have had a hard row to hoe. Today, seeking more users, there's a new nonprofit group, the Organization for Ethical Source, the OES. Founded by the ethical source leader and creator of the Hippocratic License, the contributor covenant, Coraline Ada Emke, uh, the OES is devoted to the idea that the free software and open source concept of Freedom Zero are outdated. Freedom Zero is the freedom to run a program as you wish for any purpose. It's fundamental It's fundamental to how open source software is made and used. It's that last part that vexes MKey and supporters. That's because they hate the notion that open source software can be used for any purpose, including evil purposes. <laughs> <laughs> the group states... The world has changed since the open source definition was created. Open source has become ubiquitous and is now being leveraged by bad actors for mass surveillance, racist policing, and other human rights abuses all over the world, like censorship. And uh, the OES believes that the open source community must evolve to address the magnitude and complexity of today's social, political, and technological challenges and implement censorship. So there you go. That is straight from ZDNet, and uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, just another uh, <laughs> step into the deep abyss. <laughs> yeah, so glad you got clickbaited by that one, because you know that's what ZDNet's all about. So. Yeah, yeah, I saw it other places as well. <laughs> I just happened to <laughs> happen to grab the article from them, but uh, right, but yeah, this is a legit license, um, and uh, frankly, people just need to get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I can't imagine how much open source software is inside of like, you know, uh, missile targeting systems and stuff like that. When you look at <laughs> trying to do, uh, you know, gyroscope uh, <laughs> location and correction <laughs> attitude. 
Well, yeah, because didn't we talk about, what was it, um, what's the big uh, laboratory, not Argon, the other one, was it Lawrence, LL? Lawrence Livermore? Lawrence Livermore, yeah, they they do a lot of open source and stuff like that, so, yeah, they're probably leveraging all kinds of LGPL software to guide missiles to blow up buildings. Yeah, 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 I mean, it's it's used everywhere, Um, and it's stupid. This is, you know... People need to get out of their Care Bear colleges and uh, <laughs> like go get a real paycheck. And uh, <laughs> it's not that uh, that bad. It's sometimes it's okay for you to have a little evil in your life. You will still survive and move forward. Yeah, put on a black hat once in a while. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry. If you if you think uh, if you think uh, Whole Foods is really looking out for you and they're not evil, I think you better start shopping somewhere else. I don't know. Does is the acquisition of money inherently evil? Well, apparently. <laughs> okay. All capitalism is is evil. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we just got to sit back at home and and wait and collect our checks from the government. All right. So next, we're moving into Linux in the Ham Shack, and we had a little bit of a preview on this topic that we're going to talk about now. But we will be doing an upcoming deep dive into it because it turns out it's a really interesting project. Uh, but we're going to let Bill start because he's the one who actually got it built and running first. And then I built it and ran it second. And we'll talk a little bit about it this time and then stay tuned for our next deep dive episode. Where we're really going to cover this, uh, you know, down to the core. Yeah, we're going to beat it with the big stick here. So, yeah, this is Dude Star. And uh, this is software to uh, receive and transmit DSTAR, DMR, Fusion, YSF, FCS. I don't know what FCS is. NXDN, P25, M17, and IAX, All-Star Client over UDP. Uh, this software connects to yeah everything I just said. It is compatible with all of the Ambi 1000-based USB devices out there, the Thumb DV, DV Stick 30, DVSI, Etsy. It includes, it includes software decoding and encoding support. IMBE and AMBI vocoder software. Well, that sounds evil. Uh, the uh, software is open source and uses cross-platform C++ library called Qt. Uh, it will build and run on Linux, Windows, and Mac OS. Of course, who knows if that'll mean Mac OS on M1, but I'm sure somebody will well, tell us. obviously it will eventually. <laughs> I mean, <it's> yeah. a- <laughs> if you can compile it, it probably... Uh, this software makes use of software from a number of other open source software projects, including MMDVM host, MMDVM underscore CM, XLXD, DSDCC, MBELIB, and OP25. And encoding and decoding of the various protocols was only possible thanks to the authors of all of these software projects. And uh, we have the GitHub link in the show notes, like we did uh, when we originally mentioned it from the, uh, who was that? Koos? sent that to us uh yes he's in a twitter link that yes. mentioned it yep yeah so uh yeah so I, I did download this and play with it today and uh, actually connected to the ysf uh reference or reflector um i'm still learning all the terms here. <laughs> <laughs> the ysf reflector for lhs and holy cow you could hear me and uh and i could hear you Right, and through a through a series of links and RF bridges and other things, your you talking to me meant I could hear you in the WireZX room on my YSF repeater, in the YSF reflector, through Pi Star, and even just 
connected via your computer. So there was no radio involved on your end. Yeah, but, I but was literally running the software. Yep, and then we ultimately made a connection end-to-end using computers, but there, again, were RF bridges and repeaters in between. So uh, still amateur radio involved, but uh, you can you can get on DMR now and YSF and everything. This is stuff you could do with Pi-Star, but even Pi-Star still requires a radio because it has a, you know a, an RF interface. But this takes it to the next level, but call, takes it to a different level, yeah, where you can just use a sound card interface instead of a radio. Yeah, and it's all software driven, so you don't even we're not even talking about using a signal link or anything else like that because you are just talking to the computer. This is kind of like using Echolink on a computer, um, and the interface is that simple. Uh, you do have to compile it, obviously, for uh, for Linux. It's not very tough if you've already compiled one of the uh, one of the builds for. Uh, WSJTX, you probably have almost everything you need except for possibly QMake. Um, that, that normally is an extra download that you need to get. And if you listen to our deep dive last week about getting your system ready for compiling, well, you probably already know about QMake. So that'll be the, uh, the first step you do. And then you do a make and you get your binaries. And if you want to do a make install, you can. Otherwise, you can just leave it in the build directory like I did. And uh, I executed it from there, and you're presented with a really simple Windows screen here with uh, four tabs on it. Uh, the main tab is how you actually make your connection by picking the mode and which host you're connecting to and you know possibly which talk group or which module. And below that, you have uh, a bar that gives you the signal strength coming in of the audio coming into the path. You'll see like a little VU meter. Um, has a codec gain, so in case you need to bring up the signal, like if you're getting a partial decode or whatever, you can actually gain the codec a little bit. So it uh, grabs a little bit more of the signal. I have mine set at 3 dB right now, and that seems to be sweet for my particular installation. You have a volume control and a mute button, a mic gain and a mute button. And then you also have a, a section here that'll show you who's actually talking in the room that you're connected to, including the gateway call sign, destination type, path and frame number. So the frame number will just kind of give you the frames of the actual uh, decoded information coming across. And at the bottom, you got a TX button, and that's on the main screen. Uh, yeah, and then the setting screen is pretty straightforward. I'm getting all my DMR IDs and passwords and all that other gobbledygook that I, <laughs> <laughs> I need to get because I don't have any digital radios whatsoever. But like minimally, I was able to get my call sign in here and connect to YSF because I don't need a DMR ID for doing any of that stuff. So now all that stuff worked out of the box. Um, there's a log tab and and gives you the log information and an about tab. So uh, uh, we'll probably go into more detail on how to compile it and everything else in a in a deep dive, or maybe even how to use it and some of the quirks and quasars. And oh wait, no, wait, no, just quirks. <laughs> <laughs> quirks, not quarks. Quirk, quirk, yeah, quirks. <laughs> so uh, and possibly gotchas. Um, we'll try to run this thing through uh, through all the paces and see where it doesn't work quite as expected. Um, and I'm sure there's some areas, but so far so good. It's really cool. <laughs> uh, we'll uh, we'll have more for you probably in a. In a this, in he said it's really cool from a guy who's butt puckered up when he had to buy a digital radio. He's like, now I don't have to buy one, so I'm. Exactly. I'm good. <laughs> I am like all set, man. This is a this is what free software is all about. <laughs> Bypassing your pocketbook. Yeah. All right. 
So yeah, we will talk more about Dude Star. It's a great project, and maybe we can even talk to the developer. Or uh, I didn't check to see how many there were associated with the project, but might be nice to have them on board. Yeah, oh, and absolutely. and we mentioned the last time that it uh, will support M17 as well. You, you mentioned it in this as well. So yeah. maybe maybe we can sort of link those together somehow on the show because uh, we've been looking to get M17 on the on the show for a while. So. Maybe now that there's something that can actually, you know, interface with M17, uh, there, you know, I know it's kind of falling off my radar a little bit, but we'll get back to it for sure, one way or the other. All right. So that means we have come down to the end of our short topics for this episode, but we still have the social media roundup. So we're going to bring Cheryl back in here and she's going to tell us all about the folks who, uh, help support the show. So our first list is our Patreons, and on that list is Brandon Rozek, John Spriggs, Robert Lewis, Robert Pitts, Douglas Rudder, David Jakeway, Darren King, Cubicle Nate, Erna Gostalis, Samuel Vimes, Peter Caffrey, uh, Richard Gordon, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rullo, Donald Gover, Herb Garcia, Steve Sainer, Steve Metcalf, William Heckelman, Randolph Smith, and Andy Webster. Next are our subscriptions, and we have two new people this week, Isaac Geyer and Thomas Foy. Then we have Michael Burdak, Kevin Ivey, Tony Coverley, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Peter Spots, Fred Cole, Bill Pieter, Jeffrey Boris, Robert Halliday, Wayne Hale, John Clark, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Roger Pereira, Howard Dittmer, Todd Bowers, Michael Carey, A. Taylor, Dylan Angle, Jim McKenzie, Bill Collins, Robert Black, Darren King, Randolph Smith, Robert Yerke, Steve Biella, Alan Wilson, Mark Farrell, and Jeff Zimmerman. On Facebook, we had James Dennebeck join us. On Twitter, Twitter, excuse me, we have at Ham Modern, at The Bearded Ham, at Dan W17085967, and at Satcom Operator 7. On YouTube, we have Timothy Klutz, Felix Cooper, and Michael Malia. And there is nothing on the mailing list and no merchandise sells this time. I have to say that it was funny to me that uh, Felix Cooper was actually, it was actually in Cyrillic. Um, so, you know, when I plugged it into Google Translate, I was expecting, you know, Yevgeny Vladivir or something like that in it translated to felix cooper so <laughs> um, <Pretty> cool. <laughs> yeah so who knows who that is actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could just be somebody who's using a, a russian acronym or something right <laughs> but yeah so anyway thanks to all of those people who help support the show and who have joined on our social media platforms and we also want to thank everyone who helps us out financially uh, we are now incurring a little bit of an extra, uh, expense because I'm running, uh, some software in, uh, DigitalOcean now, which actually costs money. Uh, but it will make the reflector access much more fluid and not drop packets like crazy like it was earlier. So, uh, all of the financial assistance we get really does help. Um, I mean, DigitalOcean droplets are not exactly expensive, but you know, it all adds up over time. So thanks everybody who listens, who downloads, who shares, you know, make sure to share the show, you know, anytime you're talking about, uh, stuff in your club or, or anything like that, feel free to mention us. We'd love to have more people sign on and listen. And, uh, don't forget to check out the, uh, 
Ham Expo that's coming up in March because we'll be a part of that again. Uh, more information, of course, will be forthcoming as as we get it. And uh, since all the in-person events are already being canceled again, it looks like we won't be seeing anybody in person this year. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. And uh, Tony wants me to plug the Open Source Amateur Radio Club, but there's nothing really to plug yet. We're still working on it. So we'll, we'll get around to all that soon. Uh, and that being said, we had a couple of folks we were showing as active here in the Discord. We had Ted, WA0IR, and Tony, K4XSS. Not sure that anybody else was able to uh, join us tonight because uh, we have been flipping times around and stuff. But we're going to try and stick with Thursday night, 8 p.m. Central, and uh, hopefully that'll work out you know, as uh, a regular time going forward. And with all of that being said, I guess we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. This has been episode number 389 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or hamper. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.
Linux in the Hamshack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.